month of June is the beginning of summer. A little bit later, in a couple weeks, the summer solstice will happen, and all that summer means in the way of weather and heat just becomes our experience. But if you, in the southern hemisphere, the opposite is about to take place. It is going to be the, it is the advent of winter, and the cold, and the rain, and the snow, and the storm, and the gales are all part of that landscape coming up. And I think about this because I think it was in this time, in the Southern Hemisphere, a little over 100 years ago, that 28 men were fighting for their very lives. They had gone to Antarctica to traverse the continent, no small feat, it's thousands of miles across, but they'd gotten into trouble in a hurry. The boat that they'd built that was specifically designed to withstand the pressures of the pack ice was failing. The pack ice proved too strong. And so it became an expedition of sort of courage and bravery and notoriety turned into an ordeal of rescue and survivability and uh, pretty long odds to achieve those things. And if you know that history, I was sort of as a kid, as you can kind of tell, somewhat of a fanatic about exploration and polar exploration. And, and so I'm speaking about the expedition of Ernest Shackleton. And Shackleton was quite the leader and he realized that they needed to pivot in a hurry. The expedition was long gone. It was time to get into the three remaining lifeboats that they had and head for whatever that could be construed as safety. Off the ice and to an island. 60 miles away lay Elephant Island. Really not much to speak of then and very little improvement is uh, it's seen in the last 100 plus years. It really is a windswept, snow-covered, rocky crag of a place. But it was safety. And so they went, and they got there really by the skin of their teeth. Stormy gales, swamping the boat, sub-zero temperatures, pitch black. I mean, there's just a lot going on for the, even these experienced sailors. But they get there, and they're just starting their journey because there's no, it's uninhabited. They need to go another 800 miles across open ocean of the South Atlantic to find safety. There's a whaling station on South Georgia Island. And so Shackleton and five other guys take one of the boats and he heads off in that direction, leaving the other 22 men behind. And that's a story in and of itself. have to save it for another sermon intro. But the men that are left behind see their leader and the most experienced guys sail off. And they know that they're these guys have to go if these men who are staying behind are going to be rescued. But they don't know when that rescue will happen. They don't know if it will happen. They have no way to communicate. They have no way to hear progress. They're only living on the few provisions that they've brought or the seal meat that fortunately and penguin meat that was plentiful. But they're in such a place of unknown, of uncertainty, of what lies ahead. They know the plan. They just don't know when the plan's going to happen. And it's in that posture that, that our readings come to us. Just a, a bit of a spoiler alert, Shackleton does miraculously, by God's providential grace, get to South Georgia. He does come back for these men. And they see this little boat on the horizon. 
And as they're peering out, as the boat gets closer and closer, they see Shackleton at the bow with binoculars. And he's counting his men to see if they're all there. He said, are you all well when he gets close enough to be in earshot? And they said, yes, we're all well. It's a frame for understanding what we've been reading. That Jesus says, I will come and give you the Spirit. And of course, in, in, in Acts 1, they said, when are you coming? And it's like, these are the times for the Father to know. They're not for you to know. But go to Jerusalem. This is after he ascends. And wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And so this text that Benny read finds them in the upper room. Some commentators think it was the same upper room as uh, where they met for the Last Supper. But they're in there. They're praying. There's about 120. Jesus' mother is with them. And they're just praying. They know what the plan is. They are told in a few days, but they don't know what that means. They don't know what to expect. Because when the Spirit comes, He comes with a rushing wind and with tongues of fire. He comes in a way that nobody anticipated, nobody had heard about. And yet, to a good Jew of the day, they would know, oh yes, this is the Spirit of God. This is the Ruach. This is the breath of life. He is coming again. He hovered over the waters in Genesis, and he would come, and Ezekiel would talk about the Spirit, the wind that, that creates life to, so that the dry bones can live. They knew their, their Torah. They knew their prophets. And so this wasn't entirely unfamiliar to them. But they hadn't seen it in this manifestation. But it was so large that something big was happening, happening here. And tongues of fire, of course, descend on them. And suddenly they're speaking in tongues. And it's just like the Lord to make it on the day of Pentecost. We think of Pentecost as the gift of the Holy Spirit, and so we should. But to a good Jew, the Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost had Torah origins. It was really the, the Feast of Weeks. It was the first fruits. It was the time where your initial harvest was coming in. And so you would take that. You were mandated to go to Jerusalem, one of the three festivals where people were supposed to travel, get on the 495, and wherever you were, and head to Jerusalem. And so that's why there's literally, scholars think, hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem at this time. It's why there are people from sort of every part that the Jewish nation had spread out. And it's in that, that wonderful moment that the Lord's Spirit descends to show. There's so many things going on, we don't have a ton of time to explore that. But just to, to show that God is saying His Spirit is to be poured out on the 12, on the 120, that they would be filled. And then they would take that message through what the Spirit is doing and it just starts speaking. And people from whatever their language was would start to hear. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit, but it is the gift not just for themselves, but for other people. But let's slow down for a minute and kind of unpack that. Because I think as we understand, if we want to get a hold of, even you know, think about what it means, what Pentecost means for us today, uh, there's a few things that we can focus on. I think the first thing, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit is giving the disciples confirmation that they belong to the Lord. They knew they belonged to him, but what did that mean? What did it mean in light of the fact that he was now ascended to the right hand of his father? 
What, what were they supposed to do? They're not really, I mean, they, they took care of some business. They had some board meeting. They had to decide who would replace Judas. They got that done. But we don't hear of them doing too much else after that. Instead, the Holy Spirit comes and they are confirmed that they belong to the Lord. When the Spirit descended on people in Old Testament times, just think of Saul, it was an affirmation, a confirmation that you belonged and God had a purpose for your life. This is what they're understanding, that they, they are affirmed, that they, are, they have actually Christ's Spirit in them. I don't think they fully understood what that meant. They didn't understand so much as they experienced and I think that should be true for us. Lord, I mean, books have been written, tons of books, more will be written about this. But for us here at Holy Trinity, what does it mean for each of us to understand the filling of the Spirit? What does it mean for us as a congregation to understand the filling of the Spirit? The first thing is just to confirm that we belong to God. When you talk about the theology of the Spirit and what that actually means, Paul spends a ton of time in his letters unpacking that. Ephesians is a letter that's rich with insight about the Holy Spirit. He says to these Greek believers, for the most part, when you were included in Christ, you also were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked, with, marked in him with a seal. What was that seal? The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. The sealing of the Holy Spirit the experience of the Spirit, which as Christians we know came when we said yes to Christ, when we said yes through baptism. At that same time, the Lord is sealing us with His Holy Spirit. That's our personal Pentecost, if you will. And so the first thing I, that in this Pentecost Sunday is just to understand and rejoice in the fact that the Spirit, by getting the Spirit, we are confirmed that we belong to Christ. Be encouraged. Remember your baptism. We are made up, we are part of those who belong to the church. This is, as you've heard, if you've read in the email blast, this is the birth of the church, as some scholars say. This is people that belong individually to Jesus, but collectively we are his people. Collectively we are the beginning of his kingdom. We are the outpost on earth that will come to its full fruition when he comes again to gather his saints and so I hope that that encourages us in all kinds of places, but not least of which to when we think about where we are now with, in the midst, in, in this valley and in this time with all kinds of different worldviews on offer. You know, we could spend a lot of time just cataloging what some of those are, but some of them are advanced with quite a lot of force and a lot of conviction. And yet, if they're not of the kingdom and not of Christ, they're not things that we were meant for. In fact, that... that idea of, of starting to speak in tongues and, and share the gospel so that everybody can hear about Jesus in their language is essentially the Lord saying, this is actually the worldview. And we are his ambassadors to share that. So alternative worldviews might be something that we find ourselves being pressed by or difficult times. You know, being in Christ and being sealed by the Holy Spirit is not a guarantee that, that hard things don't happen. And so many things can make circumstances hard. The prolonged nature of them, the isolation that we often feel, like nobody really knows right now what I'm experiencing. I mean, I've been able to share a few things, and people are praying for me, and they're encouraging me. You know, this is how we think when we go in the midst of these things, and very understandably. 
But God knows. His Spirit knows. His Spirit groans for us. That Spirit who sealed us is also ministering to us. It doesn't just sort of say, go into the mission field and check in later. He says, we are in this world together. And you are in me, and I am in you, says his Spirit. So hard times can be really difficult, but his Spirit speaks to us. Sometimes we don't feel that we are in Christ like Pentecost celebrates because we're so aware of our own stuff, our own sins, the, the things that just keep, they're on a loop somehow. They just keep going back and forth and we don't seem to get really the breakthroughs of the victory that we anticipated, we thought, or it, we once had. And Jesus says to that, that's why I sent you my spirit, to encourage, to remind, to convict, but most of all, to show you how much I love you, to show you how much I ab- just adore you because you're my very good creation. Because I want to be with you forever. I want you to be with me forever. And so these things that are besetting and challenging, they, they won't have the final say if we would faithfully come before him in that posture of humility, in that posture of forgiveness, in that posture of expectation that says, Lord, confirm in me your power. Your power to resist sin, your power to say no, power to share the difficulty, the challenge with somebody who can walk alongside of me. There can be any number of reasons why we don't think that we belong to the Lord as much as he knows that we do. And I pray that as we think about the Holy Spirit and we're sealed, that this would be a day where we are reminded of those things and encouraged by them. But the Lord doesn't just seal us for our own benefit. I think this has been somewhat of the mistake of the church in the past. Sometimes you, there's so much emphasis on a personal salvation. Like you have to receive Christ and you have to say yes. And we say yes. And then what's the church? Well, the church is just a group of individuals who've received Christ and they come on a Sunday and they hear some teaching and they sing worship. And, and, but mostly it's about your personal salvation. But if you look at Scripture, the weight of Scripture is much more on the corporate side of things than we would choose to admit. This is the, the Corinthians letter, I think, that Jason read. And, and he says, you know, now to each one the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given for what? For the common good, for all, for all of our benefits. To one there is given the spirit of the message of wisdom and another of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another faith to another, gifts of healing through that spirit. One, somebody else gets miraculous powers. Another has the ability to prophesy. Somebody can distinguish between spirits. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, why does he do that? He does that so that we would come together as a body of believers and together experience the fullness of Christ. We have such an individualistic mindset in our Western, certainly United States history. It's like, it's the individual, but it's not the individual. If we want to understand who Christ is in his fullness, we have to be together. And we have to be together in order to share the gifts that God has put into each one of us. In whatever form, on a Sunday, great. Um, Some of you just keep getting added to our list of things to do and tasks and that's great. There's more of you who will be added. But it just takes a lot to be able to put together a, an opportunity, a time where we can worship and we can welcome and we can have communion, the supper of the Lamb. That just that takes 
takes all of us. Or in small groups where somebody shares something, something that they're struggling, and somebody else has a word that you just know. If you've been on that, if you've dared to sort of share something in your small group and you hear a reply or an encouragement and you go, Lord, that was from you. And you'd be like, yeah, that's what it says in Corinthians. That's how it's supposed to work. We can, if, if we stay in this individual posture, we can never experience the fullness of God. We're, we're not designed to do that. He says the, the church is the body of Christ. He likens it to a physical body. You know, a hand, um, legs, eyes. All, if a body is going to do one task, all those things have to work together. Some of you, in, after church and after snack and fellowship, We'll turn on the Warriors-Celtics game. And you will see, and it's not on already, right? Turn off those phones. Uh, you will see Steph Curry, who is, you know, I think he holds the record for three points and all kinds of other accolades and things like that. But just imagine what, if, if you think about what it takes to sink a three-pointer 22-plus feet away I won't try to imitate it because it would just be too comical. But you can just imagine as he, the vision that he has, the quickness that he has, the alertness, the peripheral uh, ability to know where people are, to know where his screen's going to be, to get the ball, to see the target, to squat down with enough force to jump and with his arms to go that high to release at just the right time, all of it instinctive but so much of his body working together to just release that shot that as it goes in, all of us cheer for. If any one of those things isn't working, he's not hitting. If, so, if they're really broken, he's not even suiting up. He's, he's injured. This is the body of Christ. We all must be. We are part of a body, whether we choose to admit it or not. And if we would just use who God has made us then the Lord's fullness, the Lord's ability to be that, that place of love, that place of encouragement, that place of forgiveness, that, that, that he wants other people to experience. You know, Scythians, Parthians, Medes, Persians, all the people that were hearing this, this outpouring of the gospel for the first time, they're going to hear that. Today's Medes and Persians and Scythians are hearing it when they come here, when they see us in action. So he puts us, he seals us, he confirms that we belong to him, and he puts us into a community, but not just for our own uh, personal enjoyment, but really to be his people. And finally, he commissions us. There's work for us to do. There is a commissioning. You know, the, the disciples are sent out. The 12 are commissioned to go out. What is a commission? A commission is, is it's a duty or task that's given to a person. In June, I think most of the uh, academies, the military academies, have their graduation. And when they have completed their, each man or woman has completed their, their, their degree, they're given a, a junior officer's commission. They're given something that tells them what they're to do. They are say, you are an officer of this military branch, and you are now tasked with going and serving your country. We are commissioned. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is commissioning us to be God's person in the places that he calls us to be, in our families and in our communities and in our world and in our nation. How that gets done and, and the challenges that come with that, well, that's for another week. But I just want us to, to know that that's what we are called to do. Ephesians, again, Paul says a couple chapters later, 
His intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Jesus is doing that by serving notice of the giving of his spirit. Gates of hell will not prevail. But we flow in that as we be his hands and his feet, his salt and his light in all the areas of our life. You may have noticed that the title of this sermon is called Take Pentecost Personally. Now, when do you hear that word? You know, Don't take it so personally. Have you ever heard that? Somebody kind of said something that's a little harsh, a little sharp to you, and they're trying to back off, and they say, well, sorry, don't take it personally. Like, okay, I'll try not to. But sometimes we say that to other people, don't we? Or we say, but, or there's times where we actually say things that we want them to take personally. When you told your spouse that you loved them, you wanted them to take that personally. Like, I really want you to hear this. I love you. Hopefully that was before you got married so that they knew that you're really serious and intentional about it. But there's things that we need to say that we want people to take personally. Maybe you've been bold or, or thinking about somebody that you really care about and you've got something hard to say, share with them. You want them to hear it. You want them to take it personally. You can't own it. You can't, you know, you don't, can't control how they're going to hear it. But you're, you love them, so you want them to hear this with the deepest part of their heart. That's taking things personally. So take Pentecost personally. One way to do that I'll just, here's a, a one application sermon right here. It's something that I found myself in preparing for this, this week with all the ups and downs and all the challenges. And I don't know, whenever you have to prepare something that is of the Lord, the enemy just sort of ratchets up all kinds of stuff. And I found myself just asking for God's, the Spirit's infilling far more than I anticipated. And you just think, Lord, why am I? You know, this should be, this situation should be a no-brainer. This should be a layup. This is easy. I've done this all my, you know, this is no problem. But just for whatever reason, if you find yourself in that, whatever those situations, could be easy, could be hard, but in each and every one of those situations, we have the invitation to take this personally by just saying, Lord, I need your spirit. Your spirit's in me. I need whatever outworking. Maybe that's patience on my part as you work things out, as I stand on this this island where nothing's happening and I need to be rescued, as I stand in the midst of great confusion in our world and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate that, as I have specific goals and things for people in my life whom I love dearly and I, I don't see things I'd like to see. In each and every one of those moments, I would pray that in this Pentecost, we would know that the Spirit speaks to us if we would ask Him that he fills us if we would ask him, that he comforts us, that he counsels us, all these things that Jesus said he, he would do. That would be a way to take Pentecost personally. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.